let us follow you even when we don't understand. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, how's everybody? All right. Good to see you. Uh, man, it sounds awesome just singing with you guys. Love to, to sing and worship with you. And uh, we're so thankful again that you're here this morning. And uh, I'm going to pass this off to Phil. There you go, bud. Um, well, we love to celebrate reading God's Word. And so one of the things that we do here is we cheer and clap and scream and get excited about things. And so uh, if you would this morning, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. And... Um, we're going to be looking at God's Word. I was kind of thinking this week, we've been in Exodus 14 so long, my Bible just kind of naturally opens to it now when I go to read my Bible. Uh, and so, uh, so we're going through this series called the Red Sea Rules. And uh, if you prefer to keep up with things and take notes digitally rather than on a piece of paper, you can get the Bible app, the uh, Version Bible app. And on the live mode, you can keep up and follow on our uh, services there. You can check that out. It's a pretty cool way to, uh, to interact and engage with us. Uh, and so we would like to ask you to do that. But this morning, I just want to read this passage of Scripture again to you. And I want to recover for those who may not have been here a little bit about this series and what we've been learning and discovering and talking about. So Exodus chapter 14, verse 1 says this, and this is right after the Israelites, the people of God, have been rescued from slavery in Egypt, and they've been brought out of that, and now they're kind of on their way to what they consider a hope is going to be freedom, but they've not quite gotten there yet, and so we're going to learn a couple of things here this morning. Here's what Exodus tells us in chapter 14. Moses wrote this down. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Belzephon. And so the first thing we learned in this series was that God means for us to be right where we are. That God instructed them to go to this place. And it was going to be a difficult place for them to be, a dangerous place for them to be. But God told them to go there. He instructed them there. He says, Pharaoh will think that the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion. They're hemmed in by the desert. And I'll harden Pharaoh's heart and he'll pursue after them. But I will gain glory for myself, even though Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. And so we said in the second week of our series that we're supposed to be more concerned for God's glory than for our relief. And so we saw God tell the Israelites, I'm going to send Pharaoh after you. I'm going to harden his heart and he's going to chase you down. But don't be concerned about him. Be concerned about my glory. I will get glory from this situation. I will do what no one else can from this situation. So then we go to the next thing, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them. And they said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. And the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they encamped near the sea, or by the sea near Pihaharoth, opposite of Belzephon. And so when the Israelites see and know that Pharaoh's army is coming after them, the fourth thing that we learned in this series was that we should acknowledge our enemy but keep our eyes on God. 
that we know there's an enemy out there and they knew he was coming and they acknowledge that there's a dangerous enemy that's coming after them. For us, our enemy is not anybody that's flesh and blood. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this dark world, that we have demonic uh, beings who are against us, that Satan and his, uh, his army is against us as believers in Christ. And so we keep our eyes, we acknowledge that there is an enemy out there who wants to destroy us, but we keep our eyes focused on God, that God is infinitely more powerful than Satan. And so we acknowledge our enemy, but we keep our eyes on the Lord. And then verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And so the next rule of the Red Sea was simply this, pray. And so we see the Israelites in this moment. They don't pray in faith. God would prefer that we pray in faith, but they cry out to the Lord. And so the Bible says that they cry out to God, and in their, even in their unbelief, that they don't believe God's going to rescue them, but they cry out to Him anyway. And so God would allow us and have us in our moments of deepest need to pray, to cry out to Him, but to pray in faith, believing that God can do something about it. Then in verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so the next rule of the Red Sea was just this. Stay calm and confident and give God time to work. Moses just said, listen, I know it seems really terrible right now. The Egyptians are right behind us. They're on our heels. They're chasing us down. But stay calm. Stay confident. Give God time to work. Let Him do what only He can do. Then we go on, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and all of his horsemen. And so the next Red Sea rule here is that when we're unsure, just take the next logical step in faith. And so this is where Moses and the Israelite people are, are kind of praying out, crying out to God. And God says, don't just stand there. I've told you, be calm and confident, but now it's time to move. He gives them marching orders. And he says, move forward. So they go all the way as far forward as they can. We said that they were standing basically feet first in the Red Sea. And the army of Pharaoh is still behind them. They don't have anywhere else to go, but they follow God's directive. They said, go forward, move forward, and then give God a chance to do what he's going to do. Then we pick up the last part, verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of, the, of Israel's army, withdrew and he went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. So throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other army all night long. Uh, that we need to learn in the Red Sea rule, we need to learn to envision God's enveloping presence, that He's always with us. The Bible says that God will never leave us, never forsake us. So we need to learn to envision His enveloping presence. The cloud, the pillar of cloud that was with them moved from in front of them. It was leading them as they went through the desert. Now it's moved behind them as a guard and a, a guide for them. And the army, the angel of the Lord, moved behind the people of Israel. And so we said we need to learn to envision, to imagine and, and understand that God's presence, although we don't tangibly see it, God's presence is always with us. That He's with you in everything that you go through. In every moment, in every struggle, in every joy, in every difficulty, God is always with you. So learn to envision the enveloping presence of God and know that He's with you. That brings us to where we are today. So I want us to read verses 21 and 22 together. Listen to what happens. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, 
And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and He turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. And so this morning, as we kind of talk about this, after eight weeks, we've been doing this series for eight weeks, and some of you are like, is it ever going to end? Are we ever going to get anywhere? Are we always going to be on this peninsula following these Israelites and the Egyptians are just going to be behind them forever? Like, is that where we're going to go? No. Today, we finally get to the point where the climax of the story hits, and God sends a strong east wind that blows overnight, and as it blows, it parts the waters of the Red Sea. And the Egyptians are about to watch the Israelites to move through that and start to go on dry ground from one side of the shore to the other. From what I've been able to tell, it's about eight miles, this length of, of water that they had to go through. So this is a large body of water. And God in His miraculous power sends this strong wind that blows right through the water and opens up a doorway, a portal for the Israelites to go through. He allows them to walk through on dry land. So, we're going to finally see this Red Sea crossing take place. The crossing of the Red Sea, I love this. It's one of the Bible's biggest and most dramatic object lessons, and it's also one of God's greatest miracles. If you think about this, if you were to ask anybody, what's some of the greatest miracles? Even if you ask somebody who hasn't been to church, doesn't know the Bible, isn't a believer in Christ, if you were to say, what are some miracles maybe you know that God did? Probably somebody along the way, maybe they saw Exodus, Gods and Kings, or they saw you know the Ten Commandments movie from the 70s or 60s or whatever that was, I don't know. Um, but, you know, that you remember the one that was like nine hours long that you had to watch over three or four days on TV? Yeah, okay. So uh, maybe they've seen that. I don't know, somewhere along the way, somebody would go, oh, God's miracles. What do I know about God? I don't know. God, uh, I remember him parting water. Like, that was a big deal, right? And so this is one of God's biggest miracles. It's one of his most dramatic object lessons. And it's got a simple explanation. And here's the Red Sea rule number eight. The simple lesson of the Red Sea is trust God to deliver in his own unique way. When you're in the middle of a crisis moment, when you're in difficulty, when there's trouble, trust God to deliver in His own unique way. God can do what we can't do. God can do abundantly above all we can ask, think, or imagine according to Colossians. Paul wrote in Colossians, God can do more than we can even imagine. No one would have imagined while they were standing with their feet in the ocean that God was going to send a wind that was going to blow it in two so they could walk through on dry ground. Nobody would have figured that Nobody would have figured that the way that he would bring salvation to people who were dead in their sin, like you and I, would be that he would introduce his son into the world. God would become man and take on flesh and walk into this world as a child, as a baby, be born into this world, and that from that he would grow up and that he would allow himself to hang on a cross to take the wrath of God and his punishment against sin on Jesus so that we could have life. Nobody would have imagined that. Nobody was predicting that. Nobody was thinking that was what God was going to do to bring deliverance to people who were in danger. Let God deliver in His own unique way. Don't project on God the things that you want. Maybe you've been here. I've been here before. God's famous for doing things that we would never even consider. Uh, have you ever been in a position where you, you just knew, you didn't know exactly what the, the whole story was of the situation, but you knew you needed out? You knew you needed help? There was something bad that was going on in your life, something difficult that was going on in your life, and you were just going, okay, God, I've got to get out of this. And I don't know what, I don't know how, I don't know what's going on. And then you start developing a plan. You ever been here? And you start telling God your plan. God, here's how you're going to get me out of this situation. Anybody ever been there before? I've been there before. Okay, God, here's what I need you to do to get me out. And you start projecting onto God, here's my plans for what you're going to do to get me out of trouble. Right? I've been there before. 
And instead, typically what happens is God doesn't do things the way that we would want Him to do things. He's got His own unique plan, His own unique way to get you out of the trouble that you're in, to get you out of the difficulties that you're facing, to get you to a place where there's peace and hope and rest in Him. But it's not the way you would have done it. God has His own unique way, and He's going to do things in a way that meets your needs, but they're completely unexpected. Isaiah had a perspective on this. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, here's what Isaiah wrote about God. God declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so God looks at us and goes, that, That's your plan? Like that was your big idea about how to get out of trouble? I've got plans that you don't even know about. I have ways you've not even considered. I have thoughts that you're too dumb and immature to think. Yes, I just called you all dumb and immature, all right? And so here's the deal. God goes, look, you're not even capable of thinking about some of the things that I want to do to bring you relief from your situation. I've got plans that you don't have, and I've got ways that you don't have, and I've got thoughts that you don't think about. So God supernaturally saved the Israelites in this moment that he had this plan in place that none of them would have thought, okay, God's going to part the waters and let us go through. None of them were thinking that. But I think there were actually a few miraculous things that happened here in this part of the passage. And I want to talk about three of them. One, that the water is parted by the power of a strong wind. That's one of the miraculous things that takes place in this. Uh, John Gill, who was a famous theologian, uh, wrote this. No wind of itself, without the exertion and the continuance of almighty power in a miraculous way, could have so thrown the waves of the sea on heaps and retained them for so long that such a vast number of people should pass through it as on dry ground. Like John Gill basically says this, look, this wasn't just a wind that blew by and it was circumstantial of going, oh my gosh, it was, how awesome was it that just at the moment that, the, that Pharaoh and the Egyptians were right behind us, that this big wind came up and the, the sea parted. That was awesome, right? Like, just circumstantial, just happened to happen that way, right? And John Gill says, no, 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 it's not just a wind, it's the power of God that's holding back the waves. And he sent that wind, but it's not a normal wind. It's his power on display to say, I'm going to hold this back for you so that potentially we believe that up to a million people could walk across on dry ground. Which is actually the second part of the miraculous thing that happens here is that there is dry ground to pass on, right? And so when we think about this, the land beneath the waters was dry to cross over. Now, in our area, we have all kinds of man-made lakes. TVA provides that for us, right? And so uh, they flood all the farmland and take, you know, whatever. Uh, and so that's how they created these lakes. They've created these man-made things. They've got the, the dams and they've got all this kind of stuff. And so huge benefit for our area. But in the winter, what happens? They close off the dams. The water recedes, right? And so now we've got lots of mud everywhere. And as I've, a teenager, my buddies used to go, I, I never did this, my buddies used to go out, right? <laughs> And uh, take their trucks out on the lake bottoms. Anybody? Mudding. Going mudding. Thank you very much. All right. You're not even from East Tennessee. You know mudding. All right. So good. So yeah, we go mudding, man. And you go out and you're just driving along on the lake bottoms. And sometimes it's been, you know, the lakes have been rescinded for weeks or even months. And you're out there driving around and what inevitably happens? Your truck gets stuck in the mud, right? You're out there doing donuts and wheelies and all kinds of crazy stuff. And now you're stuck. Now you've got to call your parents. Can you come pull me out of the mud, right? You don't even do that. You call some record service or another buddy that's got four-wheel drive, and you get them to pull you out. And then you go and you wash that truck like a madman to get it clean before your parents find out where you were. And so you see this, and you go, man, it's miraculous. After even weeks or months, the lake bottom is not 
not dry enough to absorb the weight of somebody being out there on it, the truck being out there on it. And yet, after a matter of hours, as God parts the sea, the ground underneath is completely dry for people to walk across. How miraculous is that? It's not just that the water's parted. It's that the bottom of the ocean floor was dry. That a million people with their animals and their carts and everything else could pass by on dry ground. And so you think about that and just go, the ground under the Red Sea was completely solid for people to walk on. It's miraculous. Here's the third thing, that the waters fell on the Egyptians at Moses' command. So Egypt chases Israel into the Red Sea. And once Israel passes through, Moses is told by God, stretch your hand out again, and I'm going to bring the sea crashing down on the Egyptians. Those who have been persecuting you, those who have been tormenting you, those who have held you in slavery for over 400 years, you'll never see them again after today. I'm going to destroy them. And so for people that would go, okay, well, it's just circumstantial happenstance. The, the, the water uh, was parted, a big wind blew, and it allowed that to happen. How do you explain for the fact that at a moment's notice when God says, now, tell it to stop? It just does. Pull your hand back, and the waters are just going to crash in. It's the same thing that happened with the plagues in Egypt. Every time there would be a plague, and people try to explain this from scientific reasons. and scientific, Okay, well, if there's a bloody Nile River and the Nile's full of blood, then what's going to happen? Well, sure, fish are going to die. And then what's going to happen? Well, flies are going to come out of the, the ground. And then what's going to happen? You're going to have gnats everywhere. And then frogs have to naturally come up and take care of all that. And then locusts are going to come. You know, like you just kind of, there's a progression to it. And people try to scientifically explain away the events of, of the, the uh, Pharaoh and the exodus of Egypt and the, the plagues that God sent. And yet what I find fascinating, even if you want to say, even if it was, God did use scientific measures and ways to bring those things about. The thing that I always found miraculous was that when Pharaoh would come to Moses and say, hey, pray to God and take it away, that Moses would do that, and the next day they would completely be gone. No more frogs, no more water filled with blood, no more gnats, no more flies, no more locusts, just gone. How do you explain that outside of the power of God's miraculous hand? And so when you see miracles like this, you go, when Moses commanded the waters to, to come back again at the moment god told moses to do that the waters came in crashing over the egyptians and they were drowned here's what verse 26 says exodus 14:26. then the lord said to moses stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen so moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place the egyptians were fleeing toward it and the lord swept them into the sea the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So God delivered them in his own unique way by making a way through the sea. And here's what I want you to know. God has the power to deliver you from difficult things as well. I don't know what struggle you're facing. I don't know what struggle you will face in the future. We're always in that place where if you're not in the middle of a storm right now, there's probably one on the horizon somewhere. There's something coming down the pike towards you that's going to be difficult for you to walk through, that's going to be hard for you to go through, that's going to be dangerous. And when you hit that moment, if you're in it now or if it's coming for you, know that God can deliver you in His own unique way. Now, here's what I would want you to hear this morning. I want you to notice that I said in a unique way, not a supernatural way. God may very well save you in some supernatural way. But more often than not, God tends to deliver through His providential power than through His supernatural power. God tends to use things within the scope of 
of reality, of science, of this world to bring salvation to people. There are the occasions, and the Bible's full of them. Sometimes we look at things and go, I want God to do the same thing for me that He did in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. I want Him to deliver in that way. I want Him to do miraculous things. I want Him to prove Himself that He still has that same power today that He had back then. I think maybe God isn't as powerful now as He was. And the truth is that God can still do those supernatural things. And as our world comes to a point where it's closing down, we're going to see more and more that God will do supernatural things on this earth as he begins to wrap things up in human history to bring about his desired end for this world. There are going to be supernatural things. But more often than not, in our day-to-day life, God acts through providence rather than supernatural things. And so we need to understand that just because God doesn't do something supernaturally doesn't mean he's not at work to rescue us. Just because he doesn't do something supernaturally doesn't mean he isn't working to rescue us. He is at work behind the scenes in your life to bring about a rescue from your difficult situations. Here's something that Robert Morgan said in his book, The Red Sea Rules. God doesn't have standardized, same-size-fits-all solutions to our various problems. He treats every situation as singular and special, and He designs a unique, tailor-made deliverance to every trial and every trouble. See, not everyone gets a miracle. The way we desire uh, to be delivered may not be the way that God delivers. Not everybody gets a miracle. But here's the truth. It may not even feel like deliverance in the things that God does to bring us to the point of rescue. But we can trust God to deliver in His own unique way. And we have to let the Bible determine and dictate for us what truth is out of our obedience to God in times of difficulty. It's about God's truth, not our feelings, right? Oh, I don't feel like God's doing anything. Well, what does Scripture say? I don't feel like God is close to me. Well, what does the Bible say? I don't feel like God has the power to do this. What is the evidence of Scripture? God can. God will. He will bring about some amazing things. But we have to let the Bible guard our lives. But we understand that not everything is about our deliverance here in this world. Here's what Vance Havner uh, wrote. He said, God marks some of our days. We'll explain later. I just love that. Like there's going to be something that we're going to have time when we stand before God in heaven and we just go, God, do you remember that really, really terrible thing that I went through and you didn't deliver me? And he's just going to go, oh, yeah, I needed to talk to you about that. Uh, there's some things that were going on that you didn't even have any clue about that are going to affect like something that happens 100 years from now. And it's going to be more about how you walked in faithful obedience to me through that trial than me delivering you from that trial. We talked about that a little bit last week, that we said it's better to go with God through the trial than to be exempt from the trial and to miss God's presence. That oftentimes it's in the middle of the trial that we know God the most and that we find Him the strongest. So here's what I want us to look at just for a few minutes. Hebrews chapter 11. When we feel like God's deliverance is missing the mark, that God looks at deliverance from a completely different perspective than we do sometimes. And so here's what Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32, says. Uh, The author of Hebrews writes and says, What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith they conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, they gained what was promised, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the fury of the flames, and they escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women even received back their dead, raised to life again. And we look at all that and we go, wow, that, that's God acting in His supernatural power. That's the kind of stuff I want God to do for me. Shut the mouths of lions when I get thrown into the lion's den. 
Let me go into the flames and not be burned by them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Let me experience God in your power, saving, rescuing, doing all these things. Somebody that I love dies. Bring them back to life again. That would be awesome for you to do. And yet we turn the page, turn the corner on the next part of verse 35 and listen to what the author of Hebrews continues to say. There were others, however, who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And we read that part of Hebrews chapter 11 and we go, that doesn't sound like deliverance. I liked the first part better. Let me walk through fires. Let me close lines now. That part I liked. Bring back people from the dead. That was a good one, God. I like that one. This whole being sewn in two thing or uh, sawed in two thing, I didn't like that one as much. It was a little more difficult to handle. And yet here's what I would say, that when we go through difficult things and we're not even facing these physical difficulties most of the time, there are Christians around the world who are facing this kind of persecution every day, right now. There are Christians who are being targeted for their faith in Jesus Christ, who are being killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're not being delivered like we would hope or want in some supernatural way. But here's what I would say, they are being delivered in an ultimate way. See, here's the power of the Christian life. When we die in this world, we wake up in heaven with God. We believe that. And some of you might think, man, that's crazy. I just can't wrap my mind around that. That's okay. If you can't get to that place, that's okay. But I would encourage you to explore and see what Scripture talks about. Because here's the reality of the promise that we have from God. When we die in this world, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to celebrate Easter in just a few weeks. And because Jesus came back from the dead, He was the first fruits, the Bible says, that He was the first that was raised back from the dead for this purpose, that when we who follow Him die, that we would be raised back to life as well. Not a physical reality here on earth. We're not coming back to, earth, to life on earth, but we wake up alive, fully alive with God in heaven. And it's the ultimate fulfillment of deliverance. And so when we see this, we go, man, I, I want God's deliverance. Sometimes God will deliver us through things here on this earth. Other times He'll allow us even to die to find our ultimate deliverance. And He goes, that is complete salvation. You're dead in the body, but you're alive in your soul. You're alive in Christ. And so we live to Him. Here's what Je Jesus actually said in, in Luke chapter 12. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And so when we think about this, Jesus is going, here's the deal. Somebody on this earth could kill you. They could hold a gun to your head and they could kill you. Don't be afraid of them. What can they do after that? Keep shooting your dead body? What difference does that make? They can't do anything to you, but you're going to wake up and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to answer and say, why should I let you continue to live forever with me in heaven? Because here's the truth. We will all live for eternity. Our souls will all live for eternity. And the Bible makes it clear that there are two destinations. There's life with God in heaven or there's departure from Him in a place that the Bible calls hell that's a real place. And that Jesus said, don't fear the one that can kill you, but that's it. Fear the one who, when you stand in front of him, has the authority to cast you aside and into hell. 
Because he's the one you have to understand dictates your eternal destination, your eternal future. And so my plea for everybody in this room is that you would know who Jesus is and that you would know the authority of his power in your life to bring you to life. That you would walk into a faithful relationship with him and say, Jesus wants to know you. He wants you to follow him. And it's not just so you can have some better life here. That's that's an empty kind of life to say, man, you know, my feeling is, is that if I become a believer in Christ, God should just make everything better. And that's not what the Bible paints the picture of at all. In fact, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But we want to encourage you to walk into that faith relationship with Jesus. So here's the last thing I want to say before we move on to this next rule of the Red Sea. You may be God's unique way that He meets someone else's needs. You may be the way that God brings deliverance to someone. You could be the one that meets someone's financial needs. That's praying for that. God, I just need help. I'm in bad shape right now financially. I've heard stories over the years. I don't, this has never happened to me, but stories over the years of people going, I'm just, I've got to make payments on some things and I don't have the ability to do that. And they start praying and asking God and just miraculously money shows up in the mail. A check shows up in the mail for the exact amount that they were praying for to meet that need. I've heard that kind of story happen all the time. So you might be the one that meets someone's financial need. You may be the one that meets someone's relational need. That you would just come along somebody who's been praying for a friend, praying for a connection, And you're the way that God answers that. He brings you into somebody's life. And instead of being self-absorbed and just going through your day and not caring about anybody else, that you're looking for opportunities to say, who are the people that need to be loved, that want to know Christ, and that just need somebody, even if they don't accept Christ, that they just need a friend, they need somebody to love them. You might be the one that meets them. You might be the one that meets somebody's physical need. We've got a a community group in our church right now that's trying to help meet a, a physical need for a lady. And so we found out just a few weeks ago that there's a lady who's, uh, who's blind and who has had one leg amputated up to the hip. She's living in, an, in a, uh, a mobile home, in a trailer, and her front door is five feet off the ground and there's no ramp. There's no deck. There's no anything. It's door five feet to the ground. She has to have physical assistance to get out of the house. Anytime she wants to go somewhere, she's dependent on people to give her rides. She's been praying for a while that she could find a way to get to church. And so we had someone in our church that found out about this need and they took it to their community group. And their community group has stepped up and just said, we're going to help. We started finding ways to get other people involved. We've contacted uh, an organization out of Greenville who builds ramps and decks for people. How cool is that? And on Tuesday this week, they're coming up from Greenville to build this lady a deck and to build her a ramp that she can access, get out of the house. We've also found a power chair for her so she can maneuver through that so that she can take care of herself. This is what it looks like when the body of Christ starts to meet those kinds of needs. And so if you'd like to get engaged in helping out with this person, maybe she's still looking for somebody who would say, hey, man, she wants to go to church. She just needs a ride to get to church. Uh, I believe she lives in Churchill. Is that right? So, uh, so that's another need. We're looking for ways that we can con- communicate with people and help people meet their needs. This is one of those needs. So if you'd like to know more information about that, I'd point you to Andy Malcolm and his community group and let them kind of find ways to get you engaged in that. If you could help out in some way, that would be awesome. Maybe you would help meet someone's spiritual needs. You never know how God's going to use you. And if you're prompted by the Spirit of God to meet someone else's needs, move toward them. So let's now move to the end of Exodus chapter 14. I want to look at this next passage and give you this last rule of the Red Sea uh, before we celebrate some more next week. Next week, guys, is going to be a celebration. 
As we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about the last part of the Red Sea rules. But today I want to hit this number nine. And then next week I hope you'll come back and celebrate with us. Exodus 14, 30 and 31. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they put their trust in Him or their faith in Him and in His servant Moses. Have you ever asked yourself why God allows us to go through trials in the first place? Has that ever been a question? You're just like, when God saves somebody, why doesn't He just keep their life from having difficulties from then on? Like, it should just get easier, right? And my understanding of the Christian faith is you become a believer in Jesus and then all of a sudden the whole world is rainbows and butterflies and all these kinds of things. Unicorns and dolphins and whatever you like, right? Just like, that's what the world should be like when you come into faith in Christ. It should just get easier. And the truth is that the Bible does not say that. We just looked at the passage from Hebrews that explained how there are things that we go through in life that we may die even from our faith in Christ. God doesn't promise us an easy future. He promises us a relationship with Him that changes everything. And so... The question of why doesn't God just spare us from difficulties and sorrows? James has a perspective on this that I want to share. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now here's what I would say. I'm willing to do a whole lot more things if I know on the other side that there's some benefit to that for me, right? Like, I'm willing to even exercise if I think I'm going to have rock hard abs. It's never happened, but it could. I'm holding out faith on that one, right? And so you go, all right, here's what James says. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you go through trials of many times, because you know. What do you know? He goes, you hold on to this because you know something powerful. You know that the testing of your faith ends with perseverance. And when perseverance has finished its work, or excuse me, uh, testing of your faith produces perseverance, and the finished work of perseverance is maturity and completeness. So here's what we can know as Christians, that God would say to us, I put you in the middle of a trial so that you'll persevere through it, so that you'll walk through it, so that you'll go through the difficulty. And on the other side of the difficulty, as you persevere, you know, you know, that God's bringing you to a place of maturity as a believer in Christ and completion. That you'll have everything you need for the Christian faith. Because you know that. So walk through those trials. Walk through those difficult times. Here's a quote from Robert Morgan that I love. He says this, At church, we hear the Word of God, and in our devotion time, we feed on the Scriptures. The Lord then sends a trial into our lives to give us an opportunity to put His teachings into practice. And as we trust Him and pass the test, we're strengthened for the future. We're strengthened for the future. So God goes, I'm going to give you trials to go through because it's going to allow you to persevere, to go through things, and to get to a better future. All right? So here's the last thing that I want us to see. Rule number nine of the Red Sea is view your current crisis as a faith builder for the future. View your current crisis as a faith builder for the future. What's God doing? He's putting a test in your life. He's putting something difficult in your life so that you've got an opportunity to go through it, to persevere, and to get to a place of completion and maturity. That's what God desires for you through those times. And so we see this in Exodus 14, 31. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust or their faith in Him and in His servant Moses. They saw now their current crisis acted as a faith builder for the future. God, we saw what you did to the Egyptians. We saw you part the Red Sea. We saw you let us walk through on dry ground. Now we put our faith 
in you. Our trust is in you. And here's what God knew. God knew that this was not the, the only bad thing that was going to happen to the Israelites as they went on their journey toward becoming a nation. They were going to have a lot more things that were going to try them. J. Hudson Taylor actually said this, I know He, being God, I know He tries me only to increase my faith. You can hold on to that. God tries us only to increase our faith. So here's the final principle. Our faith grows when we choose to apply God's promises to today's problems and use the experience to, to, to mature us for tomorrow's challenges. The problems you go through today are going to mature you for tomorrow's challenges. And you can hold on to the fact that when God is doing something and we're allowing you to go through something difficult now, He's got something great for you in the future. Now, even as a church faith family, we're not immune to difficult times. As individuals, we're not immune to difficult times. As a country, we're not immune to difficult times. And the local church and the church in general is not immune to difficult times. And yet, I'm so thankful that what God does is He puts leaders in place that help us when we walk through things that can point us to a better future, that can help us remember these kinds of things. And so in our church, in the way that we are organized, we are led through an elder body. We're led through a group of men who have, uh, who have followed God's call to say, I want to be an elder in this church. And that the desire and the opportunity that they have is to be spiritually mature leaders who point the church in the right direction when we go through difficult times or even in the middle of good times. That they go, how do we navigate what God's doing in the middle of these moments? This morning, we want to recognize one such person that has led so well in our church's life over the last five or six years. And so I'm going to ask Brian Henderson, if he would, to come up. Brian is our lead elder at this, uh, this stage in our church, and uh, he's going to recognize someone who has given so much to leading us in our church's life. So, Brian, let's do that. Great. Thanks, Jill. Well, I want to ask the other elders, if you don't mind, Annie Malcolm and Brian Reeves to come join me up here. And... The gentleman we'd like to recognize today, many of y'all know and have had the privilege of getting a chance to, uh, to do life with him and see him minister well, and that's Jeff Presley. Jeff, would you please come up here? Give him, Jeff, a hand, please. Come on up, Jeff. Beth, why don't you join him if you don't mind? Beth, can I bear she have you come join too? She does mind. Well, she's been a, she's been a great blessing as well. Come here, Jeff. Jeff um, has served as the lead elder on our elder board for the last several years. And the thing I want to recognize about the Presleys is they have been just a, a, a rock for our church. And uh, here, let y'all stand by each other. I don't want to put my arm around your wife there, get in trouble. But I, I can personally say that through many times I've had a chance to see Jeff, you know, work, you know, publicly in front of uh, things. I've had a chance to see him work privately. We've uh, he's joined me together to pray for people on there. Forget sometimes we had some people uh, dying from cancer, and we spent the time with them, prayer, and Nicaragua trips together. And the one thing I'd say I remember about Jeff is uh, he's always had a deep love for our body, and he's led with love and gentleness. He has helped. Got our church to the season where we cast new vision, where we had a pastor search process, and uh, we also had he had some personal challenges. I mean, he had family that growing up, and unfortunately, he lost his dad during the time this time. So he navigated all this um, with just incredible grace, and and we really really appreciate that. You you've been a rock to our family, uh, church family. There's a verse that when I think of Jeff, 
it speaks to me. And he's had a lot of great wisdom through the years. But Ephesians 4, it talks about how the body works together. Ephesians 4:15 it says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And I would say if there's one passage that really embodies Jeff's heartbeat, it's, it's been that. Do you agree? <laughs> He's always said, guys, how are we helping the body come together in love? How are we helping people find their fit? And so I just wanted to take a moment to thank you so much. You've been a great guy. He's not going anywhere, but he is, uh, has formally stepped off the elder board to kind of rest and recover for hopefully the next tour of duty down the road. So would you like to say anything? Only that, that God is faithful. Um, just thinking about the last five years that, as Joel was talking about this morning, that God tests us to, to make Him more, make us more like Him, and that's, um, boy, just all the praise and glory to Him. He's done far beyond all we can ask or think, mm-hmm. and just to see everyone here, it's, it, that is His hand at work, mm-hmm. and to be a part of that has been a privilege and a uh, humbling honor, and uh, I just want God to have all the glory because He did it. Thanks, Jeff. Well, and Beth, thank you, too, for your heart because you've been a great source of love, too, and uh, for our family. So um, also, as a quick update on our elder selection process, you know, a few weeks ago we had nominations, and we uh, thank you all so much for your input. We had some great uh, candidates nominated, and we've been going through the process of trying to evaluate. Hang on. We want to pray for you all real quick. Oh, she can go then. I'll pray for you. <laughs> we'll pray for you. Come on back, Beth. All right. Come here, Andy. I'll be real fast. But uh, we're in the process. We've got some uh, some great guys that we're looking at that are, uh, you know, currently going through and, and, and evaluating if they can step up and do this at this season of their life and also going through the, the feedback process. So hopefully in the next few weeks, uh, hopefully shortly after Easter, we'll have a chance to, to present some folks to you to uh, to confirm as some new elders. So with that being said, let's uh, gather around and pray for the presses real quick, and um, we'll have the worship team come up and, and guide us from here. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for Jeff and for Beth and their um, their gracious leadership over our church these last few years, for their love for this faith family, God, and just for their faithfulness to you. Thank you for the blessing of getting a chance to work closely with them. Uh, thank you for just providing us with a glimpse of what a solid, loving Christian leadership looks like. And we thank the Presleys for their contribution and honor them this day. Uh, and Lord, as we go forward, Father, let us always remember that the challenges of life are meant to build us and mature us. Um, It's not our happiness that you're always interested in, but our holiness and our growth in you. And we can always say, no matter what we face, God, it is well with our soul because we have a a Savior in Christ who loved us and gave the ultimate uh, for us. That love can never be overshadowed, can never be outdone by anything in this world. Nothing can separate us from your love. It is indeed well with us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, if we can put the picture up on the screen, Jeff, our gift for you didn't get finished in time, but uh, we've got a shepherd's staff. The elder role is a, a role of shepherd within the church, and so uh, we have this shepherd's staff that's coming. It's being engraved right now with a passage on it that talks about the role of elder as a shepherd and, and guiding the body and giving direction to the body. Uh, when we contacted the man about doing that, the one who's done it for us in the past, uh, he said, my business burned in December, and so um, it put this on hold just a little bit, but we will get this to you as fast as we can. But we just want to say thank you, man. We love you and appreciate your leadership. Thank you.
want to ask Beth, can you come back up?